you so very much, praise team, for leading us to the Lord this morning. And Kathy, thank you for the prayer as well as the singing today. I am ministered to as much by the prayer as well as our time together singing. So thank you very, very much. Also, just want to make it clear that if you would still like to uh, contribute to the uh, gift for the Boritz, uh, that opportunity is still open. And so if you would uh, like to do that, you can perhaps get uh, your gift to the office and we'll be sure it gets included in the uh, honorarium and special thank you to them. Well, today's sermon is one of the most difficult sermons that a pastor ever has to preach. It is a sermon on the subject of divorce and remarriage. Now, we are looking at the section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is applying the law to us. He has told us that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And of course we ask, what does that look like? How do we act like salt and like light? And so Jesus begins to tell us what that looks like. He has shown us how we are salt and light when it comes to anger and reconciliation. He has shown us what salt and light looks like in handling lust and adultery. And now today, Jesus says that we are to be salt and light in our marriages. Jesus' teaching today is going to be very strong teaching. Uh, That should not surprise us. And I want to come to what the Savior has to say today in two ways. One, I want to come with compassion. Uh, There's no question that all of us here today in uh, this congregation have in one way or another been hurt by the pain of divorce. Some of us have experienced very deep pain, being wrongly divorced with no recourse at all. Uh, A friend of mine who was very dear to me uh, was divorced by her husband after he had taken up with another woman. And when they went to court together, she stood before the judge and she said, Judge, I do not want this divorce. Isn't there anything that I can do? The judge said to her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you have no choice. Her family was deeply divided as a result of that divorce, and quite frankly, her family has never been the same. And I want all of us to know today that the Lord has compassion on those of us who have suffered that kind of pain. In fact, as we begin to conclude this message today, I hope that some of the things that I will say will encourage you. And so I want to come to this message with compassion. But I also want to come with concern today. We live in a culture of no-fault divorce, where divorce is very easy and it is also encouraged. The results of this trend in the last 50 years have, as you know, 
been devastating on our society. Just one statistic shows the devastating results of the trends of the last 50 years. Children of divorce are three times greater of having emotional problems than those in a two-parent family. When I read that statistic, I say to myself, God knew what he was doing when he created marriage and created the family. And no wonder God says in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. No wonder that is the heart of God for our marriages. Now this morning, for us to protect marriage as God intended, we want to ask a simple question. What truths does Jesus teach us about divorce and remarriage? Let's take our Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 5. And let's look now at what Jesus says in verses 31 and 32 as he applies in this area what it means to be salt and light. Listen to his words. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Let's look at the answers that Jesus gives to us this morning about divorce and remarriage. Here's the first one. No-fault divorce is never God's will. It is so important that we see this this morning. Now in verse 31, when Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, he is reflecting on the teaching of the rabbis on Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Let me put that verse in front of you this morning. This is the only verse in the entire Old Testament that regulated divorce in Israel. And listen to what God says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. The only verse in all the Old Testament to regulate divorce. Now the key issue in this verse is what is meant by the word indecency. And there were two schools of thought. Rabbi Shammai had a strict view. Rabbi Hillel had a lenient view. Rabbi Shammai said the word indecency means morally indecent, in particular adultery. Rabbi Hillel said, anything in a wife the husband did not find to his liking. That was the lenient view. So according to Rabbi Hillel, a husband could divorce his wife for any excuse that he found. And by the way, as I'm sure you know, there was a double standard. Wives could not do this to their husbands in in Israel. 
So he would have taught that if a wife spoiled her husband's dinner, if she criticized his parents, if he even found a prettier woman than the one he was married to, he could divorce his wife. Now, let me ask you this morning, sinful people being who they are, which view do you think the Jews chose? The stricter view or the lenient view? Need I ask you? Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, who was himself a Pharisee, said in the first century, Jewish men could divorce their wives for any cause whatsoever. In other words, it was exactly like today. With no fault divorce today, you can divorce your spouse simply because you want out of the marriage. Uh, Well over a decade ago now, Donald Trump was divorcing his second wife, Marla. They were interviewed on ABC television, and Marla said, marriage takes work. To which Donald responded, if it takes that much work, maybe it's not worth having. Could you imagine saying that on national television? But that's the world's view. That if our marriage gets tough or if it's boring, maybe the romance fades or it takes work, then it is not worth having. Now, whenever Jesus taught on marriage, he always went back to uh, the creation And he talked about God's plan and purpose from the very beginning. In fact, Jesus' teaching on marriage was always based upon the most foundational verse in all of the Bible on marriage, Genesis 2.24, which gives to us the building blocks of marriage. There, God bringing Adam and Eve together then gives us this summary as to the foundation of marriage. He says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling, and I've been doing a lot of that in the recent weeks because of the two marriages that I have done this summer or will do, this is always the very first thing that I look at with a couple. Our first session together We pull out these building blocks and we talk about what marriage is founded on. We talk about leaving and what that involves. We talk about the purpose of marriage, becoming one flesh, and all that is involved in that. And then we talk about cleaving and what that means. What's very interesting, when Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24 in the New Testament, the Greek word that he uses for cleaving is the word glue. And I tell couples, as you are planning to be married, God is going to be gluing you together, and he is going to use gorilla glue. That's how tight this bond is going to be. Now notice what this means. When God glues a couple together, when they cleave to one another, first of all, God does the uniting. 
It is not the pastor. It is not the state. It is God. And the union is intended to be permanent. As we talk about this in our first session, this is what I will say to that couple that I'm going to be marrying in several weeks or several months. You decide right now that as you come into your marriage that this is for keeps and divorce will never be an option. When you are so mad that you cannot stand each other, and those days will come, decide you will never use one word. The word divorce will never come from your lips. Make it your determination right now. It is not an option. We will not go there. You are both Christians claiming to have a relationship with the Lord. God will be in your marriage and therefore there is no problem too big for him to solve. That's how God wants us to come into marriage. Now let's look at a second truth that Jesus gives to us. Second truth for us today is this. Divorce and remarriage are permitted for sexual immorality only. Notice what Jesus says in verse 32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness. Now it is very clear here that Jesus did not believe in the lenient view that that was God's will. Instead, just like as with Rabbi Shammai, Jesus says that God permits one exception to divorce, and that exception is marital unfaithfulness. Interesting, the word here that is used for marital unfaithfulness is one word in the Greek language. It is the word porneia. We get our word pornography from this word. So you can begin to understand exactly the depth of what is being described here. Porne in Greek referred to a prostitute. and The word refers to sexual sin of any sort. It is any kind of sexual sin. It is illicit sex of any kind. And if we were to ask what is involved in this, well, there is a whole gamut. Extramarital sex, premarital sex, cohabitation, homosexual acts, prostitution, pedophilia, even addiction to pornography or self-stimulation. All of that would be involved in this word. Now we ask ourselves this question, why is this the one exception that Jesus points to. And I think we can understand it in this way. There are two conditions that are necessary for a marriage to be created. Number one is a public commitment before God and the community. That's why living together is not a marriage, because there has been no public commitment before God and the community. But a second thing that is required for a marriage to take place is a private consummation in the marriage bed that creates the one flesh relationship. 
Now follow what Jesus is saying. Marriage is a physical union. A physical union can only be broken by a physical cause. Pornea strikes at the very heart of being one flesh which God intends for husband and wife. Therefore, persistent sexual sin severs the marriage bond, the one flesh relationship. When I was a teenager, I worked at uh, Ponderosa Steakhouse. And there was a, a teenage girl that I worked with whose name was Heidi. Uh, she later married and was divorced. And I didn't see her for many years until one day uh, I saw her in the grocery store after I had moved back to our town. She said to me these words. She said, this is not the way that I planned it to be. Her husband had a four-year adulterous affair. When she found out about that adulterous affair, he divorced her, and he married the woman who was 10 years his junior. She was left alone now as a single woman raising two daughters. On the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says here, Heidi was free to marry again, only marriage to a Christian man. That's Jesus' word to her. Now let me just say something else here as we think about this. Sometimes separation short of divorce is necessary for the physical or emotional well-being of a person. I've shared with you before that when I was a teenager, there was a grandmother in my home church. And she unofficially adopted me as her grandson. She enriched my life in so many ways before the Lord took her home to heaven. Whenever I think of her, I, I rise up and call her blessed. One day while I was visiting her, I learned that she was married. And she said to me, my husband was so insanely jealous of me that I lived under constant suspicion from him all of the time. She said life with him became so impossible that she separated from him, though she never divorced him. I want to say to you today, there are situations that are so destructive that no concerned pastor would ever recommend somebody staying there. And so sometimes separation short of divorce is necessary for the well-being, emotional and physical, of a person in that marriage. Move along to the third truth that Jesus gives to us. Thirdly, marriage by or to an unbiblically divorced person is adultery. I want you to notice how Jesus says that. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness 
causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I want you to notice something very carefully here about the introductory formula in verse 31. It has been said. You will notice that that is shorter than all the other introductory formulas in the rest of this section. Look down at verse 38. You have heard that it has been said. Look down at verse 43. You have heard that it has been said. This is the only place where it is shortened to it has been said. Why does Jesus do that? It's because the shortened form in verses 31 and 32 are telling us that this is a continuation of the previous verses. In the previous verses, we have learned that lust in the heart is equal to adultery. Now Jesus is saying, in the same way, unbiblical divorce may lead to adultery. You see, in the first century, when a man divorced his wife, she had no means of support. This meant almost inevitably she would have to remarry if she was going to find support. And Jesus, in light of that difficult circumstance, is still very, very clear. He says, if that happens, she commits adultery and her new husband who marries her he commits adultery as well. Do you see here why divorce is such a serious matter? Apart from Jesus, one exception, it exposes people to adultery in an unlawful marriage. That's why it is so very, very serious. During the course of my ministry, I led a single mother to faith in Jesus Christ. She was very wonderfully saved. One day she came to my office and she had a question. She said to me, Pastor, I am divorced from my husband. We both are still single, but there is no possibility that we will ever reconcile. She said, I get lonely at times. I would like to meet somebody else and get married. She said to me, what is your opinion? I asked her this question. I said, was there any sexual misconduct? that led to the divorce, or has there been any sexual misconduct since the divorce occurred? She said no. This was hard for me. I said I'm sorry to have to say this to you. But I see no permission in Scripture for you to remarry. She said to me, I thought that's what you were going to say. She said, I concluded that same thing myself. 
And I thought she already knew the teaching of Jesus. And had I compromised and told her what she wanted to hear, she would have known I was not being faithful to Scripture. And as difficult as it was for me to say that, I knew it was right. Let's look at Jesus' fourth truth. Divorce is never commanded for sexual immorality where forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. Did you notice that Jesus does not require divorce? He permitted it under one condition. You may read your Bible from cover to cover, and you will never find one place where the Bible commands divorce. As a matter of fact, forgiveness and reconciliation are often the better option. And here's what should happen when sexual misconduct enters a marriage. We need to determine the attitude of the person involved in the sexual misconduct. If there is sorrow, repentance, and an unwilling and a willingness to turn from the sin, then we should forgive and restore that repentant partner. But where the person is unrepentant, and wants to continue the conduct, then says the Bible, divorce and remarriage are permitted. I've seen marriages healed and families left intact because of repentance, brokenness, humility, and forgiveness. I think of a a, a brother-in-law who became involved in adultery with his sister-in-law. And when it came out, both of them acknowledged the depth of their wrong. Both of them repented of their sin. Both of them turned from it. And their partners, who were brother and sister, forgave them. And to this very day, those marriages and those families are intact. And whenever that can occur, oh, what a wonderful blessing God has brought to the life of a family. In the fourth century, there was a very famous preacher by the name of Chrysostom. In this passage, he connected it to the Beatitudes, which is what all of us should do. Everything we have been learning here in in the Sermon on the Mount is all interconnected. And listen to these words from the famed preacher Chrysostom. Listen to how he puts this all together. He says, For he that is meek and a peacemaker and poor in spirit and merciful, how shall he cast out his wife? He that is used to reconcile others, how shall he be at variance with her that is his own? Now this cannot always happen because of the hardness of the unrepentant partner. But oh, when it can, what a wonderful blessing and healing it is. This morning, I want to conclude our message today by giving to us 
some summary encouragements. And I do this today because I know this is a very painful and difficult message for many of us. And I want to conclude by seeking to encourage us here in our congregation. Let me give you these encouragements this morning. Here's the first one. Accept God's forgiveness of a wrong divorce and remarriage. If you would look at your life and your circumstances and you would say, I have not performed according to biblical standards, please hear me very loudly today. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. And there is no sin or wrong that we can ever commit that cannot allow us to be forgiven. And I say that this morning to you with all of my heart. Accept God's forgiveness. You may not be in a position where you can remarry, but God will forgive you for whatever wrong you have done in this area. Number two, make your current marriage the best it can be with God's blessing. You might say to me, Pastor Brian, I see that according to Scripture I've entered into a marriage that I should not have. What do I do now? And I say to you, you cannot go back. God's intention and will for you in the marriage you are currently in is to make that marriage the very best that you can, and he wants to bless you in that marriage. And so you can ask him for forgiveness from the past, and now you can focus on making that marriage the very best that God wants you to make it. My older sister was shocked along with her church when they discovered one day their pastor, who had been their pastor for 17 years, was divorcing his wife and marrying his secretary. It was a devastating blow to that congregation. He had led that church well for 17 years. He married his secretary, divided his family, harmed his wife. Several years later, he came to conviction. He and his new wife recognized they had done wrong. He called the new pastor of the church, He said, I want to come and meet with you and the elders. I want to confess my sin and the wrong that I've done, and I will do whatever you ask. They said, we think that because of your attitude and your repentant spirit, you should come before the congregation. And this would be a time for forgiveness and reconciliation and healing. His ex-wife and his children came. His new wife was there. And before the congregation, as their former pastor, he confessed his wrong and what he had done and asked their forgiveness as he knew God had forgiven him. There was no going back. He was to go on from that point and now make his new marriage the best that it could be under the blessing of God. And that scenario may be true for you as well. And that is God's purpose and plan for you. Here's a third encouragement. If your marriage is struggling, God's way is still the right way. God's way is still the right way. 
Every marriage struggles. We all go through times of difficulty and and pain. Certainly many of us in this room have had a time in our marriage when we were so frustrated and angry with our spouse, we wondered to ourselves, why did I ever marry this person? What a mistake this has been. And in those times, we need to know God's plan is still the right way. Do not take the world's approach to divorce. And if we will obey God and follow His plan, He is capable of doing great things in our lives, even through that struggle. Finally, one more. Let the church do all that it can to support hurting marriages. When a couple comes to me to be married, I will say to them in this very difficult day when there is so much pressure on marriages and families, I believe every couple needs two things. They need a church and they need a pastor. And I will say to every couple, if you just want me to perform a ceremony, you don't want to be a part of a church, and you don't want to have a pastor, I am not interested because in this day and age, for couples and marriages to survive, we need a support system. So I will say to them, you need a church and you need a pastor. And if you are willing to allow me to be that pastor and our church to be that church, then I will be interested in marrying you. Otherwise, I will not. You know what Billy Graham says you can do to reduce chances of divorce? 400%? Three things. Read the Bible together. Pray together. And attend church together. Those three simple things, and you will reduce the chances of divorce 400%. Let us as a church be the church. Come alongside our marriages and be that support system that every one of us Let's bow our hearts together, shall we, this morning? Father, we come to you today and we're so thankful for our Savior. I'm so thankful, Lord, for even the words that Kathy read earlier today from today's Daily Bread. Lord, obedience is hard. Picking up our cross and following you daily. Making you our glory as we sang in those songs prior to the message is often a difficult road. It goes against the grain of a culture that is evil and that Jesus said is adulterous. It often causes us to deny ourselves in ways that we would rather not. But we thank you, Lord, that when your teaching is hard and clear and against our wishes, it is because you are raising up people who will be salt and light. 
It is because you have a greater plan and purpose that is far beyond ourselves, but it is a plan and purpose to reveal your kingdom and your will. As we prayed earlier, our Father who art in heaven, your hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Lord, start that will with me. I pray, Lord, today for my brothers and sisters who have experienced devastating loss and pain in this area in their life. Lord, help them to understand you have compassion for them. You love them. And you freely forgive them. May they know in the kingdom of God there are no second-class citizens. There are no stains that cannot be removed. We pray that in their new situation, their greatest desire above all things is what is the will of God and how can he help me to do it. Lord, in a moment we'll come around the table of the Lord and we'll celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We pray that you would renew our sense of his love and fellowship and forgiveness. And then, Lord, help us to remember the great cost by which we were purchased. May it give us new resolve to live for him till he comes again. Thank you and praise you for Jesus' sake. I invite our men to come and we're going to spend some time together around the table of the Lord. One of the great blessings of communion, it is the one time in the life of the church that we experience confession, corporate confession of sin. Many of you follow the Acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. In the life of the church, this is the only time that we practice the confession. And it is so important for our souls. We don't practice public confession, for that is not what the scripture requires. Sometimes we are called on to confess privately to one another and in exceptional cases there is public confession but when we come to communion it is a private confession and I want to read for you uh, why this is important from 1 Corinthians 11 and listen to what the Lord says should be our spirit and attitude as we come to the Lord's table a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup For everyone who drinks and eats without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, we're to be focusing upon these elements and what Christ has done for us. He says, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, 
we are being disciplined. It's not retribution, but it's correction so that we will not be condemned with the world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you are seeking to follow him, you may not be a member of this church, but you're welcome to partake of communion. There's no saving grace in these elements. But what we want to do is take a few moments for a private confession of sin to the Lord. Ask him to examine our hearts to make sure we are focusing upon him. And if there be any wrong that we are aware of, that we are continuing in, let's confess that freely to the Lord. Bow with me in prayer, would you? Father, I'm a sinful man. And I know that about myself far better than these people do. And you know that about myself far better than I do. Whenever I come to the table of the Lord, I'm reminded of the words of James. We all stumble in many ways. Father, we stumble in ways we don't even know. And I thank you that as we come to the table, you are not requiring us to be perfect, for you know that we cannot be. But you want us to be open, honest, real. You want us to have integrity in our walk with you. And therefore, what you say is wrong, you want us to say is wrong. And what you ask us to turn from, you want us to confess and to turn from. And so, Lord, today, we freely do that. Not to earn our salvation, for we could never earn it, but to say, I want to live out my salvation in a way that pleases my Heavenly Father. And for all these transgressions, Lord, we say to you, with the Apostle John, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing from all sin. And we praise you and thank you. Now for the bread, symbolizing our Savior's broken body. In his name.
took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. And as we think upon our Lord's broken body, let's affirm together from our hearts to his. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross for me together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross for me. And now, blessed Lord, thank you for the cup. It's a symbol of your blood poured out for us that through the exchange of your life, the perfect, sinless Son of God for our life, we might be forgiven of all the things the law of Moses could never cleanse us from. How we praise you today. In Jesus' name. blessed Lord took the cup. He said these glad and wonderful words. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then because we are one body together in Christ, he said, drink ye all of it.
as we think upon our Lord's shed blood, let's affirm together from our hearts to his. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood for me together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood. Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. And so communion looks back to what Christ has done for us, but it looks forward to how he will complete our salvation when he comes again. And so what we want to do as we conclude today is we want to sing, and we also take a sunshine uh, offering for people in our church that have needs, and we have a fund available to help with those needs. So if you are able to give today uh, for that, um, I would encourage you uh, to do so. And um, now I want to make sure, I want to make sure as I look at my bulletin, do I have it right here about the Sunshine Fund? Okay, all right. Where, where did that pesky bulletin go that somebody gave to me this morning? <laughs> I always say to people, I better have one of those so I know what's going on. I've lost mine. So that's right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's sing together, shall we? And then, um, Kathy, you'll have a stand, all right, uh, as we get to the end of this song and the ushers get to the back. And then we'll be dismissed as the final verse is sung and our elders and pastors and their wives will join us in the lobby.